Good morning, everybody. I'm a little late and I'm without my iced coffee. That's a mistake. Can big tech be fixed? Not, I think, with the current set of laws in America. So America is going to need changes to its laws. Now, I think some other countries have already have better laws. Um, as anybody who follows me for a while will know that I'm involved in litigation in Australia, um, which is not sort of about, on its face, free speech, but it is free speech. Um, it's the commercial aspect of free speech we're suing over, because we believe that uh, what we're suing over, as I've said many times, is we're suing over advertising, as in Facebook first, then Google and everybody else, banning advertising of an entire industry. But um, I'll put that to one side and sort of talk from the American perspective, especially following the Hunter Biden stuff and the uh, censorship of the New York Post. For, there's, there's only other... Now, censorship usually only means that when governments do it. But what I would say is my fix, just to say up front, is the... There's clearly a difference in scale between Facebook, Twitter and Google today and all of the internet in 1995 when the Communications and Decency Act, which contains this magical Section 230, was created. I mean, I was back on the internet right back in the earliest days. I was at university. Um, my, my undergraduate years were around 1989 to 92. And the internet was just beginning. I used to be able to go to terminals at the university and, and have the internet. But by the time, yes, on Janet, I'll tell you about Janet. Um, by the time I did my PhD, which followed on from that, I started to be able to have a dial up at home uh, and I was being able to dial into my office to control the computer that I was working on, which was a silicon graphics workstation, which in fact was in a little office in the physics department at the University of Leeds that had the backbone of Janet or Super Janet terminate in my office. So that's my earliest days of the internet. Anyway, the internet was a very different place back then. It was pre-Google. We were using Lycos and we were using screeching modems. Dying, 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 dying. Everybody knows that sound if you were there in those days waiting for Dala. And then the horror of losing a connection whenever somebody else in the house picked up the phone. Uh, yeah, one of the joys of going to university and having my own place was knowing that nobody else was going to pick up the phone while I was dialed in. Um, and paying, of course, by the minute. Everything was, everything was different back then. But the conditions were set and Section 230 was written to allow uh, the internet companies, which was bulletin boards and a whole hodgepodge of stuff, the protection of not being liable for whatever it is someone wrote on a service they offered. And what that meant was, was that if you put up a blog back, you know, and this later on, blogging came along a bit later, but I was early on in that. If you put up a blog, if somebody left a comment that was literally against the law or, or defamed someone, there was this 
you, you wouldn't know if you were liable. And, and two competing cases occurred in America. Uh, in fact, one of them involved the Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street guy. Because what happened was somebody, he said, defamed him. Turned out the guy was writing the truth, but that wasn't known to be the truth at the time. So he took, took action. And he sued Prodigy, I think it was Prodigy, uh, and, and won. And Prodigy were held liable for the content that someone else had posted on their system. Meanwhile, there was another case where uh, AOL or one of the others was not held liable. It was a mess. So Section 230 came along, cleared that up. Section 230 is necessary. We need a law like Section 230. But my proposal is that once companies get above a certain size, and the legal tests for that will be... Uh, I kind of think of it the way I think of pornography. It's like I'll know it when I see it. Facebook is big enough. If they want Section 230 protection, they have to run their site largely according to the First Amendment. That's it. Or the laws of whichever country the viewer is in, which is largely what they have to do at the moment anyway. And American law on speech is the First Amendment. That should be the law that they pass. Now, if they want to also create a walled garden area that is safe, that obeys all the woke laws and, and filters for hate speech. They can let anybody join that. And the people who want woke Facebook can go to woke Facebook. And the advertisers who only want to advertise to woke Facebook can go to woke Facebook. And the rest of us can just be left to be adults, to look at Facebook or Twitter or any of these large systems and decide for ourselves what we want to block ourselves. There's another feature I'd like to see implemented, which is shared block lists. Um, my friend Peter McLaughlin came up with this idea a long time ago. And the idea would be, if the Southern Poverty Law Center doesn't like stuff, they can build their own list of things to block and users can choose to follow it. Users can choose to view the world through the censored lens of the Southern Poverty Law Center. And the rest of us can just look at the internet. And if we see Holocaust denial or Nazis, we just ignore it the way we always did in the past. Or if we really don't want to see it, we block it. But the idea of having someone decide what I can and can't see, that upsets me. If I want to subscribe to a list of blo a block, a shared block list, I will. If I'm a, a, a very, very scared uh, woke person and I'm terrified that I might be microaggressed against, then I would subscribe to the Southern Poverty Law Center's block list and the ADL's block list and all these other, and they can manage their own block list. But for the rest of us, unless it's illegal, unless it really breaks the law and, and the law is pretty easy on on speech especially in america with the first amendment that should be the test and so once companies have got to the scale of a facebook of a twitter of a of the, the larger ones linkedin you know it should only be what is broadly illegal speech now you can then have a whole host of uh, tailored niche social media sites and other sites. And that's actually the way I would like. I would like to see the, the, the internet fragment again, back to the days that we were with a blog for this and a blog for that. And that's kind of what's happening. When you see guys like Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi basically unable to operate within the confines of a network, of a, of a New York Times or, or even The Intercept, 
they they have to go it alone and they're going to go it alone and they're going to create their own sites i think i think they're a bit dumb for operating under the umbrella of substack because who knows when substack is going to go woke and start filtering what you can say on your own substack you know that's why i'm on the sort of largely uncensorable hive or peak d as you see me posting or leo finance they're all front ends to the same back-end system but the back end itself is uncensorable so that that's that's my view of the internet is to to balkanize it i don't actually think that facebook at its current scale should exist because the problem is that that and this is undeniable facebook and google together in two different slightly different markets have created the greatest advertising tools known to man and I, and I must even admit this, whilst I have DuckDuckGo set sometimes as my um, preferred search engine, I've been doing a lot of programming recently, and I decided to have a look at Google's search results for the same programming items. They were better. They were better than DuckDuckGo, and it's a better product for some things. As soon as I wanted to search for Pamela Geller's website, however, Google sticks her own website on the 40, on the fourth page so and and duckduckgo has her on the first page so but programming stuff you know python how to do this google's a better product and their advertising systems are insanely good nobody has ever been able to advertise in such a targeted way before but they've grown to be monopoly powers we're taking action in our somewhat limited way but with huge value attached to it in australia our court case by the way uh, again there's not a lot i can say live about the court case in australia it is ongoing um we've 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 written enormous amounts of documents and they're before the court it, when there's news i will i will bring it to you but right now we're in a very quiet uh, stage there is no discovery because um, we're not working we're not even working towards discovery we've got all the evidence we need that these companies broke Australian law and it's all written in their own terms and terms of service and in their annual reports in fact but anyway the main thing the main thing uh, that I want to get across here is I think the American solution is really to keep section 230 pretty much as it is but limit it for the largest companies for the very big guys um, and only allow them to receive that kind of protection if they dump all the editorializing if they dump the choice of who is on their site outside of exactly what's written in section 230 abusive ultra-violent and pornographic stuff yes they can filter that but beyond that, and beyond real, true contraventions of, of what would be First Amendment. Now, just to bring up the last thing, it took, it took an inordinate amount of time, but Pamela Geller just won a, a case against um, the bus system in Detroit because she wanted to advertise, and they said no. And they had a whole big fight. And the, but the, the advertising on buses in Detroit is governed by the First Amendment because it's public they're the public bus systems so they have to follow a broadly first amendment based view now they can um they can ban 
political advertising on their buses if they so wish, but they must do it evenly. And, and they didn't, and they allowed atheists to advertise. Uh, and Pamela's won her case, which is great. Uh, it took a long, long time. Uh, but it shows that America's got the right attitude to free speech built into its core. And what Facebook, Twitter, Google, what they're all doing now is contrary to the underlying basis of America. They're, it's, it's against what make, made America great. And the way to make America great again, as far as social media is concerned, is to remove from them the power to filter the internet the way they're doing at the moment. And uh, their staff will hate it, much as the way the, the, the Spotify staff absolutely hate Joe Rogan hosting Alex Jones. But, uh, you know, Alex Jones, he was great on Joe Rogan. I love him. I mean, you know, you've got to have people like this saying that. And in fact, I don't find a great deal. I find a great deal more to be upset about in the pages of the New York Times than I find wrong with what Alex Jones said on Joe Rogan. Anyway, I'm Brian of London. I'm in Israel. When there's more to tell you about our case, I will. But uh, thanks for tuning in. I'm trying to do these a bit more regularly again. This will be up on 3Speak Later. If you've watched it on Periscope, it'll be on 3Speak Later and perhaps YouTube eventually. Anyway, see you all. Thanks very much and uh, have a great weekend.